This is a piece by a guy named Larry Taunton. Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Pick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome in to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am Amy Beth Shaver. This is your man in the field. And in the field today, we're talking about something very important. Of course, we're going to talk about the election. But we're also going to talk about something that's near and dear to our hearts. And I don't know if everybody's ready for this discussion. I, I don't know. But how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. I am uh, I'm doing very well after some interesting travel. And I think you had a little bit of your own. So... Yes. Um, Light on me. What's uh, what's on your mind? Biscuits. Biscuits. All right. I mean, biscuits. Now, look, we are in the American South. I understand that. Um, And there are places that, as you mentioned this morning, serve sad biscuits. Yes. But there are places that we think serve delicious biscuits. And I said, and you did not disagree with me. So I'm very interested in our (laughs) fabulous audience and our listeners letting us know where their favorite biscuits are. This could turn into a tour. You understand. Um, of their favorite biscuits, but there's a place in Birmingham and I didn't know they did this. Like I, I didn't even know where they slice the biscuits. They drench them in butter. I'm, I'm already you know, in, <laughs> you know where this is. No, I, and then I, I they don't. grill them. They grill them and then put them on your plate with the most perfect scrambled eggs you've ever had. Is, is this Dimitri's? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Dimitri's, um, and I think Dimitri's just has one location, right? Yeah, I, mean, they, they I have, think they just have one. I don't know. I'm usually the last person to find out okay, about D- things. Dimitri's, for those who are listening, in Birmingham, Alabama, there's a barbecue um, spot in downtown Homewood called Dimitri's. But Dimitri's, unlike most barbecue places, serves breakfast. Yes. And they serve a, a, a great breakfast. I'm all in on that. You know, the biscuit, it's interesting to me because the biscuit is is really uniquely Southern. And like barbecue, which is uniquely Southern, um, I would argue, those who are not in the South misuse the words barbecue and biscuit. They'll call a bun barbecue. They'll call sloppy joe, excuse me, they'll call a bun a biscuit um, or anything, you know, bready um, that you would eat in the morning. Um, and they'll call a sloppy joe barbecue. Yeah, which is not. Which is not barbecue. That's sloppy joe. That's from the North. This is, this is, it's... Bless you. I love it's, sloppy joes, but that's not barbecue. It's a bless you moment. It is, uh, it is so true. And real biscuits. And, and I feel like the art is being lost just a little bit. Like when I was growing up, we were, we were talking about this in the break room upstairs. <laughs> but um, It's a very fancy break room. Yes, a know. very, very fancy break room. But when I was growing up, a lot of, a lot of the mom's you know, make could they made homemade biscuits? They knew they they understood the assignment. They knew how to make them, and um, you know, I I had <laughs> this is so funny you know, how you think as a kid, but I'd be thinking I'm spending the night at so and so's house this weekend. His mom, <laughs> she, <laughs> she makes the best biscuits, or she makes you know the best yes. fried chicken, you know, or whatever. And you, you, you that factored into your decision as Absolutely. to where as to where you went. And um, so you had favorite moms, you know. By dads were kind of irrelevant because they're almost never home, and you know, moms were the caregivers. That's right. And they were the ones who, you know, did or didn't let you do anything and this kind of stuff. But the biscuit, I can think of Martha Carter, mm. uh, still, still, uh, still out there. Uh, one of my mom's dear friends. Her son was a very dear friend of mine. Send biscuits. She could make biscuits. A woman by the name of Donna Jimenez. Oh wow, her biscuits. <laughs> The best. I mean, what mm. can you say? You know, I mean, it, I told you, th- <laughs> and you, you didn't laugh at me because this is the way I judge if people take their biscuit seriously. I said, you know what? I think they're going to be served at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Like, I yeah. think Jesus, when we get there, he's going to be like, I am. Why not? First of all, we're going to fall down. <laughs> we're going to be so excited we're there. And, and then he's going to go, here. Oh. And then my husband talks about his lowly, so his great grandmother's ability to make. No, it's grandmother's ability to make these little things. And and please, when I say this, you'll know what I'm saying, because it's, again, it's American South, hoe cakes or griddle cakes made with the cornbread. Mm. 
and then fried them up nice and thin, slathered, not just in I, butter. I like the word slathered. Like, slathered. But they were, <laughs> they were baked in lard and then slathered oh, with yes. butter. So I, being the newlywed wife, this is many moons ago. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, he gives you the recipe book yeah. and says, you must learn yeah, this. Yeah, you got to learn how to do these. And so one night I thought, oh, he's had a really hard week. I will make his lowlies little things. <laughs> and he was so sweet. And I was like, it's not it, isn't it? He was like... Um, but no. have you have you mastered it now? Oh no, absolutely not. No. no, isn't it a funny thing because my grand, but I can make good cornbread. Yeah, you, well, I can make good cornbread. Requires a it's a like lot a of cast butter. iron, um, cast iron, um, butter, and love um, pan. Yeah, but yes, um, I it was funny because my grandmother on my dad's side, she's southern, very southern, Tallahassee, Alabama. Oh my word! My grandmother could make the best cornbread pound cake in oh, fried stop, chops. Stop. And my mom mastered them all. Mm. She my, my mom is maybe even out has outdone her on uh on the pound cake now. Oh, oh. But the um golly growing up with growing up with with that stuff, you know, I know you guys are ready for us to get to something <laughs> more substantive. But food and as you're driving down the road, but let me just say that my grandmother and mother were the queens of the pie. Okay. And that was that was their specialty. I always I always got the impression that that pie crust was hard. It is very to hard. Do. It is very hard to do, and that was the signature of the ladies in my family was pie in the crust, whether it was banana cream or chocolate. Are they still living? Uh, my grandparents are not. But my mom and her sisters are, and so at Thanksgiving and Christmas, this is when they throw down with the pie. And so coming into our so house, they've mastered it. They've mastered it. Okay, then I have a request. That banana cream oh, that you just the mentioned. Banana, now, I, you know what? Banana cream is <laughs> my thing. I'm putting in an order <laughs> right now <laughs> Done. for banana cream. I, can, I have not. I can attempt. I have not met her, but I just want to say in advance. I like her very much. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you, <laughs> banana cream is well, awesome. <laughs> because it was, you know, we weren't we were from the north and moved south when I was an infant, and so you, you, there are things that that we brought with us, and yeah. it was it was the pie. And my grandparents moved south, and so they could throw down. But the joke is around our family is kids would come over, and and they may not get anything for breakfast because I told you I made sad biscuits and put too much baking powder in them, baking soda turned them purple. It, it is a funny you know, like, little thing that it's weird. That some women who are great cooks can't make biscuits, or, or there's just a, a certain something here and there that they can't make. I can't, in I can't spite make it. In my mom, my mom would say that. My mom would say that uh, I, I don't know anything because I don't cook anything. But I just I listen to these things because my ears would pick up because these things mattered to me. <laughs> so uh, uh, my mom would say that biscuits were a bit of an art. They, they are an art. I agree a hundred percent with that. And that they're they're uh, apparently some of them are. Are uh, are more difficult than others, but today, <laughs> today, Amy Beth Shaver, very dear to my heart, she brought not one but two sacks. This is plural, full of biscuits, which are in our illustrious break room right now. I've already eaten two, <laughs> and uh, then of course Matt, the producer, brought Krispy Kremes. You know, on top of that, I've already eaten. Too. And so, you know, I am sitting here. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. And uh, I'm already I'm already full. But this is the stuff that we have to do in order to give ourselves the energy and just a little bit of happiness before we start discussing <laughs> the so very true. corrupt nature of American of the American political process these days. It feels like we have become a third world country. It, it, it indeed does. So you put some tweets out that were very good and very spot on. And you talked about just the steal and the, we're going to have a pause on voting. And I noticed that several people were saying the same things. And it does feel like we've become a third world country. I don't know how in the United States of America in 2022 that we do not know how to count ballots within an evening. Yeah, okay. Can't, can't pull I'll, America has talent can count evening. millions of votes in a commercial break. But you know what? We can't count 
we can't count these ballots. I guess they don't have enough fingers and toes. They must in, not. In order to do this in Maricopa County, uh, in Arizona, uh, Arizona, way out there in Arizona. <laughs> it feels like it right now, though, don't it? <laughs> um, out there in Arizona, the the inability to um, to count there, you have. Uh, the same thing that is going on in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that people will know, this will be aired, obviously, later. And so some of what we say may may prove to be inaccurate. We we don't know. We We're want offering, to be wrong. We want, we want to be wrong. But um, so at, at the time of the recording of this particular episode, it is the day after the November 8 election. And excuse me, the producer is waving at me and telling me it's two days later, whatever it is. Um, so we're a couple of days after the, uh, the after the fact, and uh, time flies when you're having fun or not much fun at all, or when you're traveling, as uh, as was the case with me. But um, so just bear that in mind as you listen that we're time stamping this, and so the date today is the tenth. So um, by the time this airs, this stuff is going to shake out. But as the way it looks at the moment. It looks like we're seeing um, uh, an effort to prevent Carrie Lake That's from right. becoming the governor of Arizona. And it feels like we're following the pattern that Democrats have followed since 2020, which is when it's it looks like we're going to lose, we stop all the counting. Mm-hmm. We then tell everybody, this is... Don't try this at home, everyone. This is very complicated. We're, we still have all kinds of uncounted mail-in ballots. And, uh, you know, it feels to me like Carrie Lake should have won this in a landslide. But all of a sudden, the, the, the counting has become extremely complicated. And, uh, of course, Katie Hobbs, um, the current you know, the incumbent, uh, governor of Arizona, she also oversees the election process. She mm. refused to she refused to recuse herself from that role. And yes, hmm, that all looks highly, highly suspicious. It was astounding. And it seems that it also follows a pattern that when someone who is as brave as Carrie Lake is, and they tried this with DeSantis, but they couldn't make it happen because he is so strong. And he looked them in the face throughout his first four years and just stood them down. Like, that's the best you've got. Carrie Lake is doing the same thing. And it seems to me that the pattern is if somebody like Trump is willing to say, that's ridiculous and stand up to them, then it becomes their personal mission to destroy that person. So stop the voting until we figure out the right percentage so it looks less suspicious so that maybe it's 4,703 votes that we need to overcome our... That's what it feels like. Slight gap. And so you watch it and you think, y'all really think we're a bunch of dumb idiots, don't you? Yeah. But I find it very interesting. They know they, 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 let's go to our commercial break and um, we'll save this discussion to the other side. We're also going to talk with, uh, we have with us on the show today an interesting uh, young woman. And um, we're, we're going to introduce you to her in a little bit about what she has to talk about. Sounds great. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Welcome back. We are joined by a very special guest today. You might have seen her story play out on social media, but Ari Jacob joins us today to really tell us her story because I think it's also instructive as um, as we deal with attacks in the media and you're living living it out. So would you just start from the beginning and tell us how did this happen? Um, hi, thank you for having me um, today. Uh, yeah, I didn't really know much about how the media operates before everything sort of came crashing down uh, in my life. I was uh, I was born in Mexico City and I moved to the, uh, the United States when I was uh, a little girl after my father died. Uh, my mom got remarried to an American and so I sort of got to live in the land of opportunity which I believe was the United States and I thought I was I worked really hard um, you know throughout college and after I dropped out of college I I was always sort of entrepreneurial minded and 
I finally sort of reached the what I believed at the time was the height of my career after a lot of failures, you know, as an entrepreneur and as a, as a woman and as someone who bootstrapped my company, I didn't have, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't funded by somebody and it, it was, it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears and a lot of people that helped me get there. Um, and so it was a really happy time. It's sort of that time as an entrepreneur where you're like, I think I made it, whatever it means, you know, I made it. And so, uh, for it, it, I was pretty much blindsided. Uh, I didn't realize how when you when you're about to make it and there's a lot of potential um, money that you're going to be making, you have a huge target on your back. And uh, I I realized that the industry was cutthroat. And I, I wasn't completely naive about it, but uh, yeah, I, I basically got sidelined uh, at the height of my career by this journalist uh, named Taylor Lorenz, uh, who at the time was working for the New York Times. Uh, now she works for the Washington Post. And uh, she wrote a scathing article full of lies about me, even though uh, my attorney answered, I want to say, you know, dozens of questions before she published the story, trying to sort of exonerate me of any potential uh, you know, accusations that she was making or that she said others were making about me. Uh, she didn't interview anyone else, you know, that was uh, privy to what was happening in my organization. I had a lot of uh, prominent uh, advisors and people that were helping me. So it wasn't like I was just running this organization of, of representing talent, uh, you know, up and coming social media stars. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I was basically mama bear. I wasn't, you know, the the wicked witch of the West, but that's sort of how they painted me. And so after that, after the story was uh, published, I lost uh, my my talent clients as well as brands that were working with me. Um, I was doing consulting for influencer marketing at the time. So it was sort of a niche industry that I don't think a lot of people were uh, very versed in. And so I had a little bit of an edge there. I certainly wasn't the only person doing it, but I had sort of uh, been championed by Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, who's a pretty prominent guy in the space. And I was working with L'Oreal and Universal Music Group and, and big Fortune 500 brands. Um, let me just back up just a bit for those who may not be familiar with you or with this particular story, uh, you might have seen uh, Ari on uh, Tucker Carlson. He's had you on to discuss uh, this story and what happened to you. The the larger narrative that we we want our audience to understand. I I, I try to work hard at at least intermittently. I will put out an article or a podcast or something on how media works because <laughs> most people do not understand how a television interview works, uh, how a radio interview works, or how articles like this get published, what that what that research right. looks like. I mean, just in a simple way, for instance, just to give people an idea, often the article is already written when they call you to get your opinion on the issue at right. hand. So they could just slip a little line in there that protects them. So they can say, well, we talked to you. But the fact of the matter is, it's after the fact. They've already made up their minds about you. They've already written the story. And this is an abuse of power. It's an extraordinary abuse of power. And this woman, Taylor, Taylor Lorenz, um, who has quite a presence on social media, she's a She's a Karen, you know, what we now call uh, a, a Karen. Yeah. She herself is always a victim. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens to her, she's always a victim. And yet she is always self-righteously victimizing other people. So in the case of, uh, of, of Ari, when I saw what was happening to this young lady and to her company, and particularly because, as, you know, as Amy Beth here knows, you know, my son Zachary has a... Uh, an influencer startup company that's, you know, uh, quite successful and in the direction that they're going. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, I see the hard work that goes into creating this and yet how easily something like this can be destroyed. But it's just simply a New York Times story. So a couple of yeah. questions for you. 
Why do you think you popped up on her radar? I mean, why would she have targeted you? Well, she was represented by my competitors at the time. And, and my competitors are a huge, uh, they're, they're a really big uh, talent agency that represents typically, you know, big actors. And they were trying to uh, lead the charge in digital, but they didn't have the talent at the time when I was representing the the big tick, you know, TikTok wasn't a big deal at, when it first came out. People didn't care about it. All the influencers were on YouTube and Instagram. And uh, for the most part, nobody really paid attention to TikTok, but I did. And so I had sort of first mover advantage on the talent that was on there that wasn't getting any help, any guidance. And so I got on there and then essentially I had a monopoly on TikTok stars, which had signed to my company and I, during the pandemic, when there was no touring going on in Hollywood and there was no productions being made, it became extremely lucrative to represent TikTok stars because advertisers were paying, you know, millions of dollars to advertise on social media when they couldn't advertise on television or, you know, in any other sense. So um, that put a big target on my back. I didn't realize that. Taylor was represented by uh, UTA, United Talent Agency, at the time. Um, and, you know, she uh, she even wrote glowing articles about UTA in the New York Times without disclosing that she represented them. So that's even a bigger abuse of power as I see it. And, you know, it really just goes to show you have to do your homework in terms of who is running these organizations across the board, right? Like I, I just recently did a, a YouTube video about, you know, who are the people that are friends with Elon that are involved in, in Twitter right now? And it's people from these different, um, you know, venture capital funds and whatnot. But, but understanding who people are is really important in order to get to the bottom of, of what is driving an organization ethically, mor morally, financially, politically, all those things. Whereas when, when before this happened to me, I was sort of laser focused on my craft. I didn't have time for the politics. I mean, I was bootstrapping this company in, in the sense that I every dollar that came in, um, I was reinvesting it. You know, I, it, the, the article sort of made it seem like I was grifting off all of these young people that were making millions of dollars. That's not how it worked. These people needed support and guidance before they could make any money at all. They weren't really profitable before uh, until I got in the mix and started helping them and connecting them. So it it wasn't that I was stealing for you know grifting off of them. It was a, a, a mutually beneficial relationship, and um, you know it, it it was tough to manage that business all on my own at the same time knowing that this attack was coming. Um, but thank God, you know, thank goodness I had good people around me uh, that gave me good advice because if I would have gotten on the phone with Taylor, I'm sort of a chatty person when I have, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody that initially is uh, worried about what I'm going to say because I'm a, I, I, I believe that I speak the truth. I don't lie or, or deceive people, you know, so I, I guess. I was naively sort of uh, confident in, in talking to people typically. You were saying but, you're too open with her. What's that? I said, are you saying you were a little too chatty and friendly and too open with well, her? Well, yeah, typically, but thank goodness I didn't get on the phone. I think that's you. what she was expecting. I think she was expecting for me to get on the phone because she knew of me and we had interacted in the past. She was thinking, oh, if I get her on the phone, she's, I'm just going to, she would have been able to twist every single little thing I had said. Gotcha. Um, thankfully, I, I, I asked for my attorneys to speak to her. And even before, she was trying to get me on the phone so badly that um, a talent agent from UTA, who I thought was my friend or who I thought we, I was friendly with, called me before, uh, called me when I was, uh, directing Taylor Lorenz to my attorneys saying, oh, I spoke to Taylor. You know, she really likes you. She just wants to get the other side of the story. Um, you know, I think you should talk to her directly. Why are you sending her to your attorneys? 
And I just thought to myself, wow, these people are really ruthless. They think I'm stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when my well, sort of Latina fire got, got, <laughs> got in. And I was like, oh, I'm not going down this easy. <laughs> are any of, have any of the talent come back to you now that you've been able to kind of, you know, put out um, your side of the story in this? Um. You know, I've spoken to some of them. There's so much time has passed. Most of them have managers. And the last thing I want to do is what was done to me and try to poach people back uh, after they've already developed their careers. I mean, to be quite honest, uh, I'm, I'm attempting to, uh, I have a, a, a company that manages um, talent now. Uh, we have a much smaller roster, but, you know, the... Uh, sort of that that gold rush that was happening at the time sort of like the stock market like you know I can never go back to that time where where that particular thing I was doing at the you know the right place at the right time would happen again the way it was happening it's it's almost it's a very oversaturated space now so you know it, it I don't think that I could be as successful as I had been you know back back then um, in the same, in the same arena. I mean, I think now I'm just tr focusing on a smaller set of talent, um, that aligns morally and ethically with what I believe. Uh, but I'm mainly now consulting with brands and helping them onboard influencers and work with influencers. Um, so yeah. What you know, advice? I have talked to people, but, and, and the brands, by the way, the brands were always sort of on my side, um, Personally, but professionally, they were like, we need to sort of distance ourselves from you. We know you didn't do this stuff, but hey, we're a Fortune 500 company. We can't be associated to X, Y, Z things. So what would what advice would you have for people who may find themselves in a similar situation? And they're like, wait, what is happening to me? What's happened here? Um, what would you tell them to do? I would say to try to get ahead of the story. So, you know, if I would try to put it out on my own platforms, you know, I would try like, I would try to build my own social media platforms and build relationships. If you're running a business, I think it's important that you are aware of the media and sort of make, uh, try to make some allies in the media. What I didn't realize at the time was that Taylor Lorenz really had a stronghold on this specific industry um, this was her beat, you know, like she sort of was one of the first people to be reporting on TikTok and that sort of thing in a, in a legacy newspaper. And so because of that, she built a lot of uh, fans that are journalists that now I think it's the cat 10 barges of the world. They're all um, they're all Taylor protégés. And so um, you have to be be aware of who who is is on whose side, right? Like I, I remember speaking to one um, journalist from Bloomberg and it turns out she's repped by UTA. She has a book deal with Simon & Schuster, the same company that Taylor does. And Simon & Schuster has a joint venture with UTA. Full disclosure, and Simon & Schuster is a distributor of my book. So, uh, but anyway. <laughs> but I'm not saying, and listen, I'm and not they, saying they the UTA as a whole, they're all bad people. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying Simon & Schuster is. I'm just saying, that, you know, it's just like in right in the regular, in, in the real world, we're all friends with the people that help us out sure, for the most part, right? So it's just, just be aware of like, who has partnerships, financial partnerships, because I don't think Simon & Schuster necessarily has anything, uh, has any ill will towards me, right? I don't think so at all. But if somebody, if somebody at a company has a financial partnership with someone, they're certainly not going to go out of their way to defend some random person that has nothing to do with anything. So for example, when I was trying to get my side of the story out, um, a lot of journalists are represented by United Talent Agency as well. So not to say that they have anything against me personally, but they have no reason to then have me on their show, right? Um, no, and also just so people understand how this industry works. When I wrote this book right here, which was favorably reviewed, which was favorably reviewed from by 
uh, gosh, uh, uh, Book List, um, The Gospel Coalition, The London Times, The Wall Street Journal, hailed it. Chris Matthews on MSNBC's Hardball called it beautifully written and everyone should buy the book. But then, then Carol Hitchens began making calls to her friends in media, people she yeah. knew in media. She had never read the book. It was admitted to me she had never read the book. But she began making calls to her friends in media, and suddenly the BBC is attacking me. The um, Atlantis, Atlantic is attacking me. The Guardian is attacking me. The Independent is attacking me. In other words, to your point, these are relationships with insiders. Yes. You are not a media insider. Uh, and they have no vested interest in protecting you. And they want to maintain those relationships with their buddies. And, uh, you know, to use the old expression, they know which side their bread is buttered on. And so, yes, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, and you ha it happens on, on, I think, all sides, right? I think I just, once I sort of woke up to how it worked, it was like, okay, you have to make allies. And so, and, and you have to understand what your allies, you know, what's important to them. Yeah. Um, when I realized that Taylor Lorenz was uh, essentially causing problems, lying about and attacking um, people in the tech space, she started going after, she went after Mark Andreessen, who his firm A16Z invested in Clubhouse which was a platform that Taylor Lorenz was basically shunned by. I mean, every time she went on Clubhouse, people would be like, hey, Taylor Lorenz is in the room. Like, don't say anything that you don't want, you know, to be written up in the New York Times. And she felt sort of slighted by them. And so she went on an attack in her articles. And then she went on Twitter and she said that Mark Andreessen said the R slur when um, they, people were discussing Wall Street bets on Clubhouse. But... Mark Andreessen didn't say anything on on the on the live stream as as far as I understood it. And so then people were calling her out on Twitter in the tech space saying, hey, you're lying about this. She also went after um, Steph Corey, who was then the the founder and CEO of Away Luggage. And she was attacking a female founder and Balaji um, from from uh, A16Z. I think at the time he was a partner. I don't know if he still is. But these are really like highly respected, intelligent tech entrepreneurs that have built things. And Taylor has sort of the hubris to act as though she's somehow holier than thou, smarter than all these people. She's said publicly that she started a company and, and essentially it didn't work out for her after a year. I mean, most entrepreneurs are working for many, many, many years until something works out. So she has no empathy or understanding for what it is to be a founder. And yet she's going after female founders and then when uh, a male uh, VC comes back and calls her out for her lies and for her bullying then all of a sudden it's misogyny and so it's it's just so hypocritical and and this type of behavior from Taylor Lorenz has been happening for three four I don't even know how long many many years even her her editor at the New York Times uh, at the time when she was there quit saying that he was he wished for death because he was so stressed out and I'm sure like trying to rein her in. This is, you know, her editor was somebody that worked for Gawker. I mean, you know, these, these are, anyway, my point is that I think that um, you have to understand who sort of the, the people you can trust are in media and who the people are that are just trying to uh, tell their, you know, um, get some type of sound clip to just throw you under the bus. Even people in the story that about me, there was a manager that gave a quote, a general quote about how to manage people. And it, it sounded like he was trashing me. And he texted me after the article came out and he said, hey, I know you're not a bad manager. I don't know why that quote was used in that article. And I just want you to know, like, I had no idea this is what the story was about. So, you know, if, if you... I. I would say watch like the All In podcast. These are uh, the tech entrepreneurs. There's like four tech entrepreneurs and they talk about how they deal with the media. And it's almost like they just don't even give them a 
they don't give them even an interview anymore unless they know it's like friendly friendly fire type of situation because otherwise you could say you can end up saying something you don't even mean to say that it ends up trashing something that you care about oh. or you know misinterpreting what you're trying to say you know as a speaking as a professional writer Ari um, I know that it is easy to take facts and to string them together in a false narrative. In other words, I can take the facts of your life, things that are true. She was born at this time. This is her name. This is where she's from. This is where she's ed educated. This is the nature of her business. But then put all of that together in, in order to paint you in the, the blackest light possible in, in order to portray you negatively. And I would say that that's what Taylor L Lorenz's skill set is. Her skill set is that she is very, very good at, at um, portraying people however she wants to portray them. Mm. Why don't you throw out, why don't you ask, you know, the question we've discussed just a little bit as it relates to, as it relates to this young lady. Do you also think that, <laughs> and I don't even know how to say it. I'm just going to say it because I think it's a real, a real thing. I'm a mom. I have four kids, three girls. One was a model. Do you think that part of this is generated and part of her viciousness is generated because you are beautiful and that she could be insecure, perhaps? Do you think that that's part of this? Uh, well, that's very kind of you to say. I Honestly, I don't know really what's going through Taylor Lorenz's mind sometimes. Like I, I, you know, see the things that she posts and I just, I can't imagine that someone would be so miserable that they just want to hurt other people. I mean, but maybe something bad happened to her. You, what's that? You've, you've pointed out that she's attacking other women. Yeah. What do you think is up with that? What what is it that this feels like a, 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 like Mean Girls? Yeah, I mean it sure feels that like that, and I think that's sort of what. Um, listen, when when all this happened to me, I went to the attorneys, and it was like they felt really bad, and they were just like, "There's not much you can do. Like you don't have the money to sue the New York Times. You don't have." the the money to sue UTA you don't have and all this stuff and I I've never been one to take sort of somebody telling me I can't do something very well but I I definitely had to um like dig deep and and be smart about how I moved so for example when it first happened I sort of my initial thing was I was hurt by the people that gave her quotes and I you know your initial reaction is to want to like you know, respond back at those people because you're like, how could they say those things? But I'm really glad that I didn't say anything like attacking the influencers because I'm looking at it now and some of the declarations that are in my new in the lawsuit, the, the influencers came out and said, listen, we were pressured to say these things and we didn't really understand. Like, you know, you have a journalist at the New York Times calling a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old person and, and they feel, you know, their whole career is is based upon those relationships too. They don't want a New York Times journalist to not like them. And so, you know, one of the one of the um, influencers that I manage, he wrote a declaration and he said that when he was 17, that um, Taylor essentially called him and said, uh, you know, do you have you heard all these negative allegations about your manager, la la la? And he said, no, I haven't. And when he didn't give her the information that it seemed like she wanted, she was short with him and she was, and then the next day she texted him about something else and said, I'm really disappointed in you mm. to a 17 year old kid. Mm. You're, I mean, that is horrifying. And I don't know if, um, you know, I, I don't know if she was sort of jealous of these like genuine in, in relationships that I had with the influencers, the fact that they trusted me, the fact that you know, they were chanting my name, Ari, you know, like they loved me at a certain point in time, not too long, long before she got involved. And it, it sort of seemed to me, um, which hopefully we'll find out in, in discovery, but every time Taylor got into the mix with people that I knew, um, all of a sudden their opinions of, of seemed to change about me. And so 
you know, the fact that a journalist can do this behind the scenes before she's even publishing the story is really telling. Um, and even after, uh, you know, the, the, the article that she wrote and I was told I couldn't, you know, necessarily do anything about it, I was trying to rebuild my life and I, I decided I want to build an app to help support um, influencer and the influencer economy. And so I was raising capital for that and I got a friendly interview uh, from a businessofbusiness.com, um, Christy Smythe. And as she was interviewing me for the story, uh, I think it was before she published or maybe right after uh, she published the story, Taylor Lorenz called her editor ranting to her boss that I'm a literal abuser that doesn't deserve positive press. So she was trying to essentially hold me underwater, make sure that I was dead, essentially, you know, in the, in, in, that my career was dead. And after I found out she did that, I was, it was like time for war because I realized she was never going to let it go. She didn't want me to speak publicly ever again because she was probably afraid that the truth was going to come out. Very, uh, very interesting. You know, this part of what's shocking in, in this is the average person, of course, doesn't know her and they don't know her methodologies. They don't know your story. They just pick up a paper and they read it. And their inclination is to go, oh, wow, you know, look, look at what this this manager that is is doing right. and exploiting all of these this this young talent. Yeah, especially because you can relate to like Harvey Weinstein's and the in the the sort of the nefarious things that happen on the casting Colonel couch. Colonel Parker and, and Elvis, you know, that movie is, you know, is out now, yeah. Yeah, you're just relating to, or, or Lou Pearlman, you know, from the Backstreet Boys guy. I mean, there's so many stories of people that took advantage of young talent that it, it sort of, it, it, it plays in that, it plays to people's imagination of, okay, I don't understand the social media world, but I understand these stories of other young yes. people that were taken advantage of, so I can sort of relate everything. Um, and I think so. I think she did that. And my case isn't political, right? So when Taylor Lorenz doxed libs of TikTok, of course, a lot of people, um, conservatives and and whatnot, um, and and uh, you know, people came out in support of of libs of TikTok, which they should have done, I in my opinion. But when it comes to something sort of that they care about a little less, which is like influencers. And, you know, to be honest with you, I've seen people like in chat rooms when I'm in um, on the live stream, they say like, you know, your job shouldn't exist or, you know, they're sort of angry that I was in this position anyway because they hate TikTok or they hate influencers and they think that these people are ruining society. And it's like, well, I hate to break it to you, but these people are going to exist whether I'm here or not. It might be better off if there's somebody that's actually trying to mentor them towards a path of good and, 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 and inspiring young people in a positive way rather than a negative way. But surely it's not my fault that people are on TikTok, you know? Yeah, no, we, we certainly don't hold you accountable for TikTok. <laughs> um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of wrong in the world, uh, Ari, and uh, we, we don't hold you accountable for any of it. So uh, uh, this morning we've been talking about the, uh, uh, the ongoing, you know, counting and some of the corruption in the, uh, the recent election. I don't think you had any involvement in any of that. <laughs> But if we did, we'll get you back on the show and be sure, be sure to trash you um, on on that occasion. Well, I, I think a lot of people, they just don't understand that members of media can grind a personal axe in, they can abuse their position. And, and the hope is the real professional journalists and reporters that I have had the pleasure of knowing who generally have a much older generation because things have changed so much. Those are guys who have the ability to say, you know what, I don't necessarily think I like this individual I'm about to interview or I disagree with this policy or this initiative. However, my job is to be as objective as I can be and as fair as I can be in listening to both sides of this and to present the facts and to keep my own, you know, uh, a, a personal, um, you know, beef uh, with, a, with a given issue out of it. Right. And so what's kind of appalling to me is that an old August newspaper, you know, like the New York Times and the Washington yeah. Post, how far they have fallen mm. 
And now they've become, I mean, it's funny you say that the, you know, the editor was with Gawker. I mean, do you know what happened with Gawker? I mean, that, the Gawker, if I'm not mistaken, they're the ones who are bankrupt, you know, by the lawsuit with, uh, uh, I, that is one of my favorite books. His, like uh, if anybody hasn't read that book, I think it's called Conspiracy. Um, it's just, you know, it was, it was funded by one of these tech billionaires, the, the guy, Peter, uh, Peter, Peter Thiel. Peter, yeah, who funded mm -hmm. Hulk Hogan in his lawsuit against Gawker. And, yeah, and that's what, I mean, you know, when I, because I try to tell, like, my mom and dad about, like, what's going on, but my mom's, you know, she's a Mexican lady, like, she's, uh, she doesn't understand the ins and, ins and outs of this world, but it's, um, it's one of those things where if a billionaire had a bet a vendetta against Gawker and it took him maybe I think it was like 10 years and 10 million dollars to take out Gawker imagine if this happens to the regular person somebody that bootstrapped their company and and that's what happened to me and so and so yes the the um you know the odds are are not in my favor, but that doesn't mean that people shouldn't stand up because if this can happen to me, it could happen to anybody. And people are paying attention to things that happen in the in the media when it comes to politics and and um, the pandemic and health and all these things. But it's when it happens in these little niche industries that you realize that uh, the people that are in control they don't they want to keep their control, and so. Uh, it's just dangerous. And so I think it's important. I'm glad that the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case happened because it sort of uh, inspired a lot of uh, sleuths on the internet to find out the facts. Like, remember when they said, oh, the, the, the makeup case wasn't even made in that year. And I love that stuff because yeah, yeah. it's yes. like, let's get the public involved so that they understand and that they can be they can be vocal when when something isn't right. And, you know, whether that means that laws need to change because, you know, the, the New York Times hasn't lost a defamation lawsuit since the 1960s in, in, in America. And in the 1960s, if I'm correct, it's when that was when the statute for, um, for malice was changed because of uh, the New York Times case. Um, I forget which case it was, but it's like it's a landmark case that changed how uh, regular people can sue the media. And so but it, it, they've used that as a weapon to or as a shield to shield themselves from lie from from basically lying with impunity. And I think the American people need to study this and understand it and try try to um, make change. And it's not doesn't come easy, but it's it's a lot of people coming together. Uh, again, I had no money when I came to when I went to the attorneys that are representing me now. Are you doing I'm this? Just really and, and you don't have to answer this question um, <laughs> if you if if this is in any way uh, you know asking something <laughs> that you prefer not to answer. But are they doing this pro bono, or do you have a do you have a, a GoFundMe page? Um, yeah, they're not doing it pro bono, but I do have a I have a Give Send Go. It's GiveSendGo.com/influences. Okay. Uh, we, I still, we still have to pay for the uh, expenses of the lawsuit. So as it, when it moves forward, you know, we're going to want to have um, expert witnesses. I don't know all the things that cost money uh, within the the firm, but they they've made it so that I didn't have to pay, you know, hourly, which is um, it, it's not it's kind of unheard of to be quite honest with you. Uh, but I believe it's because my case is so good, and also because. Uh, I think Taylor Lorenz has harmed so many people, but you know she didn't do it quite as recklessly as maybe she did with me because she, in my opinion, probably thought that I never would have the money to fight back. No, they're used and to so, they're used to abusing people and knowing that people do. really feel kind of helpless and are unable to do anything in response. You mm -hmm. you said this is called yeah. what now? Gifts and go. Gifts what? and go. Gift, send, go. Oh, no, give, G-I-V-E. Give, got it. Send, go. And is this the I think actually if you go to just influences.com, influence plural.com, it, it forwards to that page. Okay. So that was you, my old company, influences.com. Is this the kind of thing people can go to and contribute to your legal yeah. expenses? Okay. Well, yeah. we want to encourage them to do that. We'll put that at the bottom of the page. And we hope you get Thanks. lots of money from that. <laughs> and uh, And we hope that you're very successful in your lawsuit against them. This is this is the kind of thing that I think 
I, I think a lot of people will react to this the way I did. Again, not knowing you, not knowing you personally, but just reading a little bit of your story, I just immediately felt empathy. I felt a desire to support yeah. your case and to see to, to see you succeed in this because this kind of thing happens far too much. It's ruinous um, to people. You've you've chronicled just just here on this particular show uh, the damage that it's done to you, which goes far beyond anything that you've that you've said here. And media has to be held accountable for this kind of stuff, for individuals who, for whatever reason, she decides to target you uh, and she decides to ruin your career. And has since, I mean, it hasn't just been then, has it? I mean, it's just the initial article. There's well, been more since then, has there not? You know, she, I guess this is the thing that maybe most, maybe people at home listening, like would relate to, or if they have daughters, it's like, I'm, I was in my mid thirties when this was happening. I'm like, now I guess in my late thirties and to give up, you know, what I gave up from to build my company, I don't think I would have been able to have a, uh, a family doing everything. I, I was at some point I was living with a bunch of content creators in a big house. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had a husband and, a, and, a, and kids that I had to take care of. I don't believe I would have been able to do it at the same sort of like, you know, investment level that I was doing uh, at the time. But when you are an entrepreneur and and this is what you live for, I mean, my company was my baby. And so I realize a lot of people lost their businesses during the pandemic and 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 it's probably very similar. But when you when you lose it because somebody actively maliciously went after you, it was gut wrenching. I woke up in in my mid thirties with nothing left. I had nothing. I had I had no family, I had no kids, and I had no company. Like everything was gone. So I basically just had, you know, it, it, I guess, you know, people are like, well, why did you fight back and all this stuff? I had people that told me, you know, you're smart. Don't focus on this negative. Don't go, you know, don't do a lawsuit. It could be, it's going to suck your life. But it was like, if I don't at least try to, to get justice and to hold these people accountable, I will regret it for the rest of my life. And, you know, two years later, looking back at how much damage Taylor Lorenz has caused other people, I'm so grateful that I sort of took that gut in instinct and just tried because I only had a year to file for defamation. And so I, I gave myself that year and I said, if I if I'm not successful, then, you know, I will follow my sword and, and move forward. You know, I, I certainly didn't feel like I did anything in the article that um, was warranted for her to write that story. If I had, I would have just come out and apologized. But, you know, I didn't I didn't deserve what she wrote about me. Uh, and uh, so, so, you know, I think as just what I can give advice to anybody listening is like, is you just really, if you believe in something and, and you're wronged, especially by the media, like there are other people that have been wronged and, and that will feel empathy towards you. So go to those people and see if they can help you. Cause I, I feel like people like yourself um, have helped me and given me a platform. So I hope I can do the same for other people. And if my, when my case moves forward and, and when um, I'm successful in this lawsuit, I hope that I can be a hope for other people that feel hopeless because it, it, it's a very, I was in a dark place for, for a long time. So I just hope it, it can bring some people hope that whether they've been, you know, smeared by people professionally, just in their workplace, in the office, I think this happens to a lot of people. Um, but maybe there's a playbook for how you can fight back. Well, that might be your next project right there. We can yeah. uh, call up Simon and Schuster <laughs> and uh, see if they would be interested in uh, in a book on that subject. But I, I say that only partially tongue-in-cheek because I do think that there's there's room in the, in, in the media space for that kind of playbook because, as you've just pointed out, reputation, reputation, assaults on reputation uh, are real. And they don't always happen at your level or at my level, you know, that involve media. But they might be the kind, or Johnny Depp, you know, at the... You know, right. at a gargantuan level, but they that they happen as you've just pointed out, just in the workplace, and uh, individuals who are smeared and where the ball gets rolling a particular direction, 
and it feels too hard to pull it back and where you really don't know what to do. I mean, I can identify with what you've said where you woke up and you felt like you were in a dark place and you felt like you were, you know, you went through kind of a depression there. What do you do? So I admire you, Ari, for making the decision to fight back. You know, listen, I have yes. one really difficult question for you, and that is, how old is Taylor Lorenz? <laughs> I actually think that we're the same age. She's either 37 or 38. She hides um, her age. Yeah. This is a thing. Yeah. This yeah. is a thing. Yeah, she, yes, you know, she, she tries to troll people because they were, you know, she just doesn't like to put any information about herself uh, online, but, you know, she's happy to, to sort of dox and put other people's information out. She very um, much controls before she own. doxed Before she doxed libs of TikTok, she doxed me and the story she wrote about me in the New York Times, you know, but that sort of went unreported because I, you know, it's like, I don't even know if doxing was a, a popular thing or, or a well-known thing. Explain to people what that is. A lot of people did. listening won't know what that means. Explain that. It's basically putting out personal information like your your address uh, that's sort of unnecessary for the story in into an article. You know, she she posted uh, for me. She wrote a story about uh, the content houses that I was managing, and uh, she had actually asked me for the addresses before she published the story. Not for the story that she posted, the smear story, a different story. So she had asked me for the addresses of these houses for a different story. And I asked her, why do you know, my team asked her, why do you need the addresses? And he, she said, well, it's just for fact checking. It's not for publication. Well, fast forward to she writes an article about me and she includes a Zillow link um, showing that the house is up for sale with the address of the house where I lived at the time, a single woman. It's like you put that in the New York Times. Now, you don't think there's creeps that that follow me on social media that would love to know my address? I mean, that is just horrifying to me. Did they and have the any... fact that she does it with impunity in the New York Times, the paper of record. <laughs> it's amazing that they would permit it, honestly. But of course, I say that the New York Times has fallen. I mean, the, the, the New York Times, not that I ever had a great deal of respect for the, for the New York Times, but at least there was a time where you could expect some level of journalistic integrity. And now they've become gawker. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a money grab. Yeah. This is this is it's where we are thing. now. They are desperate for the dollar. I have to tell a very funny little little story here. I get the New York Times for free. And um, I don't remember why I started getting it for free. Maybe because I wrote you know, the, the New York Times has written about me a couple of times. I don't know, but I get it for free. So, but I, I got so irritated by the New York Times, I tried to unsubscribe. <laughs> and it took me through window after window. That was, I'm not kidding. It was things like this. First of all, you had to try to, it was difficult to find out where to unsubscribe. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like, unsubscribe here. Are you sure you want to unsubscribe? <laughs> Would you just like to receive the Sunday time? <laughs> Would you just like, and I kept going and going and going. Yes, I want to unsubscribe. Yes, I want to unsubscribe. I bet I went through six to 10 windows. I still get the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> and I've decided that they do this because... They want to be able to say that their subscription list is mm, a particular so size. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to keep getting it, even though I was no longer paying for it. I, they don't charge me anymore, but I still get it. And I think it's so they can say, well, our subscriber list is X number of you know millions of people. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I didn't even realize it until recently. Um, I had a hunch, but I didn't realize like you know, the article about me was printed in the Sunday paper. Like I thought it was, I That's thought it was, you know, just an, an, an article at first. And so when you think about maybe the, some of the people that spoke badly about me who got, you know, their picture taken for the paper, you don't think that they were excited to go. Cause when, before I had any sort of reason to not like, uh, to, to be cautious of Taylor or actually I was always cautious of her any, but before I sort of had any negative feelings of what she was going to attack me, um, she did a positive story about some of my clients and I went and bought like 15 printed papers cause we were so excited and I, we, we, we framed them and that's sort of, I think, you know, my old school, like born in Mexico immigrant mentality of like, we were in the New York times, you know, we got to yeah, put yeah. that on, uh, you know, on the wall. 
And it's sad that the New York Times has sort of let it, you know, that these legacy newspapers have let things go. But, you know, so sort of to the New York Times' credit, I, I guess I would say is that three days after I filed the lawsuit against Taylor, Taylor posted on Twitter and said, uh, I, I'm, I'm going on book leave and I'm not going to be tweeting until the end of January. So this was, I think, in August. And, and then she didn't really start, she didn't write, she wasn't really writing for the New York Times for all those months. And then I think she did one or two articles and then she wasn't tweeting at all. Like, I mean, for ta somebody like Taylor Lorenz, who has like Tourette's tweeting syndrome, it seems like, <laughs> I, I was shocked that she didn't tweet for that long. Nonsense, yeah. And then all of a sudden, she starts tweeting again to announce that she's gone to the Washington Post. So my mind kind of takes me to like, why did she actually leave the New York Times? Like, yeah. did they potentially push her out? Like, you know, hey, lady, we haven't lost the defamation case since the 1960s, and you just got us in hot water, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if the people that were running the Times, you know, I, I'm assuming that they probably didn't realize the ins and outs of the influencer TikTok industry, and so when Taylor was writing the story, you know, they probably wanted to take her word for it. I don't really know how 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 she could have written some of the things that she wrote that were just so provably untrue. Uh, one of the things was that she said that, um, or they alluded to the fact that I didn't pay the bills at one of the houses, and uh, because of that, the girls had to the, the the utilities went out and the girls had to flush the toilets with pool water sort of, in, you know, insinuating that I left unsanitary, uh, an unsanitary situation in, in the middle of COVID in April. And so then, you know, my new lawsuit, if you read it, it says, uh, there's no way that the bills could have been uh, not paid in April because there was a moratorium on bills in California since March. So how is that even possible? It's, and, and how did you not at least fact check that? I mean... Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I'm going to tell you something that you already know, Ari, and that is uh, Friedrich Nietzsche said, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. That is a lie. That is not true. Some of the things that don't kill us, um, they just maim us for life. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. However, um, you know, if you persevere and you just keep pushing forward, uh, keep your chin up and, uh, you know, keep fighting. Um, we, we're, we're in your corner. We're pulling for you. Thank you. We hope that you're extremely successful. Yes. Not just in this, but uh, in your other endeavors, because uh, you deserve to be. And it's a really rotten thing that this woman did to you. But um, we, we hope that you, you overcome it and that you succeed. Thank you. Yeah, I, I would encourage, you know, anybody that is going through hard times with their reputation or otherwise, like, just know that once you do kind of cross that bridge of of, of getting your confidence back and uh, that there is light on the others, you know, at the end of the tunnel, I, I'm... I'm actually happy to, to, to be able to speak to people like you and to hear about people's stories. Um, you know, it's just the way life is sometimes. Sometimes things come at you that you don't expect and you got to sort of, um, maybe that's just the way it was supposed to be. And and, and I, I do feel this thing has made me stronger. I certainly don't wish it on anybody, but um, I hope that we're successful and, and it, it takes uh, uh, people understand, you know, hearing the story and, and speaking out about things like this uh, in order to make change. And so I appreciate you guys having me on and, and talking about this stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, ho I, I do hope to write a book um, talking to some literary agents. And, and so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, I hope so. Let, uh, let me give you some advice on that. The most important thing about writing a book, Ari, is write. Um, yeah. I cannot tell you the number of people I meet who say to me, oh, in fact, oh, in fact, just a couple of days ago, a guy came up to me at a restaurant and said, I hear you're an author. He said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm planning to write a book. You don't know how many people I know who are planning to write a book. They never get around to it. This guy looked like he was 80. And I thought, <laughs> you better get with it. <laughs> you better, you better get with it. But yeah, uh, I you think, know, you know, so I'm excited because, um, I always kind of thought maybe I would write a book about everything that happened, but I think what I'm going to do is, is um, I was really inspired by this book I read a long time ago. Uh, it's called Basic Black by Kathy Black. She was uh, one of the executives that ran Hearst uh, magazines and uh, media companies sort of in that time, 
you know, it, I'm I'm a bit like of an updated version. Not that's not to say I run the company as big as Kathy Black did, but um, her book was sort of these little vignettes about things she learned. And one of the things I loved about that book was. Uh, one of the chapters was uh, beg for forgiveness before asking permission. And I sort of have used that for like the last 10 years of my life. It was a great book about just little things as, uh, you, as you go in your career. So I think, I think that's what my book will be is um, little vignettes of just different lessons I've learned throughout my career of being a female entrepreneur mm-hmm. and career person. You are very inspiring. I want to say once again for our audiences, give, send, go, um, and .com in, forward slash influencers, right? Or they uh, can just not go influencers, to influencers. Influences. Influences. Like I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E-S. Okay. okay. Got it. And I know that Matt will uh, make a note of it and show notes so that everybody can go. I know they're going to be inspired by your story. Thank you for sharing it. It should go far. Everybody should hear what you have to say. So thank you thank for being you. with us today. Thank you, Ari. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Turn out the lights. The party's over. (laughs) They say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?